conservatives want to try and rewrite history. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. Hey, this is Chris Hahn, and welcome to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Yes, I'm Chris Hahn. For those of you who are not looking at your screen, probably keeping your eyes safely on the road at 10 and 2. I'm sure you've all been following the madness in the GOP. They're going to oust Liz Cheney from her leadership role because she refuses to bend the knee to the former guy. And she acknowledges that the election was won by the president of the United States, Joe Biden. She will not submit to the big lie. And it's still going on. The former guy is out there talking about it. It's being parroted by many of his surrogates out there. Dinesh D'Souza, the noted propagandist and former felon, he'd still be a felon, but for the former guy pardoning him, trying to rewrite January 6th. Oh, doesn't look like an insurrection to me, putting up some picture of early in the protest when people were walking through the rotunda, they were staying within the lines. I actually remember that from that day. And and as every passing moment went by, those velvet ropes got pushed around until they were just gone. Of course, you know, he, he look outside the building, Dinesh, look in the other hallways, look at the violence, look at the people who died, look at the injured Capitol Police officers. Look at the damage to our capital. Look at the damage to our reputation around the world. And you tell me that January 6th was no big deal, you propagandist pig. I am not going to sit back quietly and let these people continue to lie about this country, about what happened in November, and I'm surely not ever going to let them forget what their words and action caused on January 6th. Dinesh D'Souza, the former guy, Kevin McCarthy, you are all responsible for this. Quite frankly, even those who spoke out late, Mitch McConnell and others, you enabled this man to allow this to ferment. And now right-wing media is trying to smooth it over. Nah, it was no big deal. Why are they making such a big deal about a bunch of people protesting outside the Capitol? Well, they weren't just protesting outside the Capitol. They were erecting gallows to hang the vice president of the United States for the crime of following the Constitution and counting the votes, which was his only role in that process, presiding over the session that counted the votes. He couldn't just unilaterally decide who would be the next president of the United States. But no, they'd hang him for that because the former guy said he could. And by the way, Mike Pence, while I respect your courage of standing up for the Constitution, which you know really should be the lowest bar any elected official in America can have to would have to clear to be competent to stand, you know, in stand for office, I, I commend you for clearing that very, very low bar. You enabled this guy for five years on the campaign trail and as his vice president. You all allowed this propaganda to float up till it led to a group of people who were ready to overthrow our government for it. And now here we are a couple of months later. Why are you still whining about it? Why are you still whining about it? 
because it's the worst thing that ever happened. The first time in our history we didn't have a peaceful transfer of power. Amazing to me. And that's the guy you're going to get rid of Liz Cheney. Look, I don't agree with Liz Cheney on almost anything when it comes to policy. I thought her father, I thought her father made some of the biggest errors in the history of this country leading us into wars that we shouldn't have been in. That said, I never thought Liz Cheney was trying to overthrow the country, and she clearly is not. She's not going to sit back and allow some liar, even if it's going to cost her her career, and it probably will cost her her career. She probably will lose her seat in the House of Representatives, and she's very likely going to lose her leadership post next week. I don't understand why Liz Cheney and other members like her, and there are other members in the House of Representatives who actually believe that what the former guy has done and what right-wing media is doing right now and what the members of that wacky GOP caucus in the House of Representatives are trying to do right now is bad for America. Why are you still in that caucus? When they remove you from your leadership role, Liz Cheney, it is time for you to leave the Republican caucus. I don't, Look, I don't think you're going to become a Democrat. I'm not crazy. I know your policies are not liberal. I don't expect you to become a Democrat. But it's time to stop voting with Kevin McCarthy. It's time to start voting with Steve Scalise, a.k.a. David Duke without the baggage. It's time to stop sitting in a caucus room with Jim Jordan and accused sex trafficker Matt Gates, and walk outside, start your own caucus if you want. Call it the center-right caucus. Call it the reality Republicans. Whatever you want to do, figure something out. But don't sit with those crazies anymore when they throw you out. And they are going to throw you out. The former guy wants them to. And they will do what the former guy wants them to do. And you seem to be okay with that. I am, Look, I'm talking to Liz Cheney like she listens to my podcast. I actually gave her a follow on Twitter because she is fighting back here, which is something none of these people do. I mean, Mitt Romney did it to some extent over the weekend. He was booed in Utah. He stood up there and he held his ground and he made his points. I, look, I, I don't get it. These people are horrible and they have done things to this country that should never be forgiven and we should never forget it and when I see them out there trying to smooth it over it really just works me up so don't ever let them forget I'll never let them forget I got a great guest today AJ Delgado now you're saying Chris AJ Delgado she was a Trump Trumper well she's not a Trumper anymore um Talk about a story. This is a woman who, when I first saw on MSNBC defending Donald Trump, I said, wow, she's pretty good. And later on in the campaign, I would see her from time to time. And every time I would see her, I would say, thank God they suck at this. Otherwise, they'd be putting her out there more. And he'd probably win. Well, he won anyway. She's got an interesting story. Uh, clearly a a person who is no longer a fan of Trump or the people around him, had a relationship with Jason Miller, uh, not Stephen Miller, the white nationalist who wrote Tim Scott's rebuttal to Biden's speech last week. And we could talk about that, too, a little bit. Uh, no, Jason Miller, who was the comms guy, who probably wasn't even really a true believer, just one of those guys. She had a relationship with the guy. He told her that uh, she that he was leaving his wife. Meanwhile, he wasn't. He got her pregnant at the same time he got his wife pregnant. Uh, interesting story. 
uh, stick around for that interview. Uh, she's fantastic. And, and, you know, one of the things I want to say here about her, before she went to work for Trump, A.J. Delgado was a very good conservative political analyst. You would see her on Fox and you would see her in other places. She was tough to debate. I never debated her. I actually looked through my records. I never debated her. And I thank God for that. After the relationship with Jason Miller was exposed and it became a thing, you haven't seen much of her on TV. Jason Miller, he got a contract with CNN after the campaign. It was exposed for him too. Now, I think that's horrible. Now, he's since lost his contract because he's a maniac. But I think it's horrible that because she was with that guy, and yeah, maybe it was a bad choice. I'm sure she'll agree it was a bad choice being with that guy. She's no longer allowed to be on TV anymore. She's no longer allowed to give her opinion about politics. This interview is pretty good. I actually went a little long with her because I wanted to talk some politics with her. I wanted to talk to her about how Biden was doing, how, you know, what's going to happen with the Republican Party, how could Democrats win Florida. She's a Cuban from Florida who whose father was a bus driver, and she wound up at Harvard Law. So there's some good things about her, a lot of good things about her. So I, you know, again, I think it's just horrible the way women are treated differently than men. And I just wanted to point that out because I do think that she, first of all, I thought it was a great interview and I would like to hear more from her on TV. So hopefully you will enjoy that. And then I'm going to come back and we'll talk a little bit about the rest of what's going on. So take a listen to this interview with AJ Delgado and I'll be right back at the end to, uh, to, to wrap it up. Joining me now, uh, A.J. Delgado was a senior communications aide on the Trump 2016 campaign and has since become one of his most vocal critics. She is out of Miami. A.J., how are you doing? Great to be with you. I'm so excited to be on with you. I am. I, look, first of all, I am excited to have you here. Um, you know, there's been a lot of issues with people associated with Trump, and a lot of it just gets washed away because it seems like every day there's something else. But right after the 2016 presidential campaign, the successful campaign that you were part of, uh, you were involved with one of uh, the early, I don't want to call it a scandal. Let's just call it a dust up because I, I, I don't know that I would call you, I wouldn't call your behavior scandalous at all, but somebody else involved, uh, Jason Miller, who was Trump's senior communication advisor, has been behaving like a total cad for the past four years. And I just want you to kind of walk me through the evolution of your relationship with him and where things are now. Sure. So um, he was the person that I directly reported to. Even though I, was, I was a senior advisor on the campaign. He was the senior, senior person, I guess, as the comms director. And um, I became pregnant, as um, anyone can read about, on the campaign, during the campaign. Um, and subsequent to that, learned that Miller, um, despite what he had relayed to me, was not in fact separated from his wife. Um, on the contrary, his wife was six months pregnant at the time that I became pregnant. Wow. So, um, yeah, so I found that I was pregnant a couple of weeks after we won. And, um, basically he had nothing to do with, um, the pregnancy and, um, slapped me with a paternity suit, 
um, pretty much when I came home from the hospital. So I've been dealing with that lawsuit uh, from the time, and I say this in a literal sense, that I came back from the hospital with my baby. Um, I spent that first night trying to locate a lawyer on the phone through Google. Wow. Um, and it's been like that, yeah. It's been that way for, we're going on four years now. There's always a, a problem with the trial, why, why the trial has to be moved. You know, two years ago it had to be moved because he was, in, in rehab, and and then it had to be moved again because he hadn't filed the proper financial documents, and it's just like the never-ending case. And, um, you know, it's it's about as, as nasty as they come, that litigation. Yeah, I, I know that there's the been... He's treated us. There's been some stuff that's gone on even recently. I know that there's some court cases. I know he just lost a court case with Gizmodo, uh, where, they were suing, where he was suing them because he... They they allege that he tried to slip you a birth con- uh, not a birth control pill but a, a day after pill into one of your drinks which I don't know if is true or not but uh, he was uh, he was suing them over that reporting uh, it is crazy to me your story is is interesting to me you are a Cuban American from Miami who uh, went to Har- went to Harvard Law uh, you know worked very hard as a student worked very hard your whole life went to went to Harvard Law. Or as I like to call it, the St. John's Law of Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, I'm a St. John's Law grad myself. Uh, so, and and, uh, and, and hey, it's the student. I always say it's the student that makes the lawyer and, and the intellect, not the school. Abs- so. Absolutely, I agree. I agree. But but you know what? You know, given that you know you come from Miami, your your family wasn't wealthy. Um, you know, your odds of getting into Harvard are very small, and you put yourself there. And that is a very impressive thing. And I remember watching you uh, during the 2016 campaign asking myself, why doesn't the Trump campaign put her out there more? You were one of the better spokespeople for that campaign and they didn't use you enough. I felt like they, I actually said to my, I said to somebody once, if they knew what they were doing, they would put her out there all the time. And and they they won anyway, but they didn't put you out there enough. I thought you were you were pretty pretty good at it uh, as far as those Trump surrogates go, because most of them weren't weren't good. I used to debate them. I used to debate Jason Miller. I mean, they they were not good at it. Um, but so- yeah, I, I agree with the, not not to top my own horn, to my own horn, but I I do agree at least with the 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 opinion that others on the on the campaign were 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 noticeably um not very good at, at their job and there's probably a reason for that is a lot of the people on the campaign jason being a key example were carpetbaggers as i call them these were not trump people they were not trump believers jason was anti-trump up until trump won the nomination yeah. so you're talking about the 11th hour and then switched camps to make money and, and be able to yeah. say I worked on a national presidential campaign. And that came across on TV. Totally. When you don't believe in a candidate, it's going to be, you have to be a very slick salesman to be able to sell it anyway. Very few people in the country can do that. And, and you saw that. And I think that's why um, they were um, noticeably just kind of lackluster. It's like Matt Schlapp and, uh, you know, the CPAC crowd. They were very much against Trump. And the minute oh, he won, they were all for it. We're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Matt and Mercedes, who you had that viral clip against, yep. they were both also not Trump people and then switched over. I remember she came up to me on election night 
and we were in the war room. Trump was there and they were they somehow eventually got upstairs and she came up to me and hugged me and said, we did it, like all excited. And I just remember it was one of the moments of election night that stuck in my head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and still is, is as vivid as if I were living it right now. I just remember thinking, we? Right. I busted my ass since the early primaries for this. Yeah. You did not. What's this we business? Yeah. Yet, ironically, those are the people that kind of went on to get all the top jobs. It's it, figure. It is amazing to me. And you know, I, I you know, I want to go walk through the evolution of you as a Cuban American, hardworking, working working class family, as I understand it. Um, yes. Who who came to a different kind of conservatism than was the norm in America when you were coming up. I mean, there's always this theory that Cubans are Republicans because of Reagan and what Reagan did for Cubans, Cuban Americans. Um, and, 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 and that has held over you, as I understand it, were conservative, but you weren't a neocon. You weren't a fan of these endless wars. And that's kind of what attracted you to Trump because Trump pretty early on was making the pitch to people like you who, you know, maybe they had conservative leanings, but they weren't all for all in on all these wars. That's very astute. And that's exactly right. I mean, when Trump came along, it was like nirvana to, for me. My, my gosh, there was finally a conservative candidate who wasn't an interventionist when it came to war. And you're completely right that that was already my predisposition was a candidate that I was looking for a candidate that wasn't a hawk. Right. And was pretty moderate on the social issues, because that's where I also. Um, uh, and, and that's how he so, appeared. That definitely how he appeared on that campaign, that when he was going to get in, he was not going to be a social warrior, social issue warrior. But then that wasn't really how he governed. Right. Then how he governed is a different story. But as far as how I came to him as as a candidate. It was because he was pretty socially moderate, very relaxed on social issues, on the pro-life abortion issue. He's relaxed on guns, even uh, not just the social issues, but guns. Even does, does Donald Trump even own a gun? Has he ever really held a gun or fired? <laughs> Probably a gun? not. He right. Has. Right. I don't think he felt passionate about that. Same as me on the foreign policy issues. Same as me. So when he's described as the most right wing candidate on that stage, I always think less of anybody who has that view because you're really in the wrong field if you see it that way. Well, he wasn't the most right. He he definitely wasn't the most right wing candidate in the primaries, but he became one of the most right wing presidents in the history of this country. I mean, his appointments to the bench alone are like they're going to be bringing this country far to the right for years after he's dead. Yes, his presidency was a different story. He definitely moved to the right, although in a way, depending on how you define what's right wing on foreign policy, his foreign policy was certainly not hawkish. And no. at least in the past few decades, hawkish is what equals right wing. It's, so in that regard, he's been kind of in his own niche, I think. I, the first time Very I met true. Donald Trump was at a fundraiser for Hillary Clinton in 2000 when she was running for United States Senate in the state of New York. <laughs> That's the first time I met the guy. And I met him many times after that, uh, Yankee games and other things. Uh, but I met him at a fundraiser for Hillary Clinton. So when he ran for president, I was like, yeah, is he playing to this crowd and then he's going to become president, become that pragmatic New Yorker that we all grew up with? Or is he going to just be crazy? Turns out it was crazy. All right. I'm an attorney and I made the choice um, not to practice law. I, I worked at a white shoe firm as well. I know you did as well. Uh, and I decided to go work for Chuck Schumer. And, you know, I've never looked back. I've been a politico ever since. Um, you were making big bucks 
coming out of Harvard uh, at a big firm in New York City, and you make the choice. How old are you when you made the choice to just say, I'm done with this, I'm going to go into politics? Um, I think it's like spread out over years because you never really know, like you have one foot in one door and one foot out the door because politics, unless, you know, you have rich parents who know people, it's very hard to get into. So it was kind of like throughout the, you know, early thirties, I was still kind of like wetting my feet, um, and wondering, you know, is this just something that I really can't sustain? Like, should I just go back to having a a normal, regular legal job? Right. And, um, it's, it's a it's a tough thing to kind of just dive into. Yeah, tell me about it. My my parents were like, you know, I grew up, you know, working class roots as well. And when I told my parents I'm taking a huge pay cut and I'm going to go work for Chuck Schumer, they're like, what is wrong with you? What did, why did you just spend all that money on law school? What is wrong with you? I'm still paying my student loans, by the way. I've been out of law school for 21 oh, years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I have $120,000. I don't mind saying it. I have $120,000 of debt from law school. And, you know, I have a very working class background. My dad's a bus driver and my mom was, she, you know, she stopped working to have my sister and I and be home with, I God bless her for that. Um, but she worked in a factory in Hialeah making mm. two pays. So very working class background. So we're very much of the mentality of you get a job and a steady job that has benefits and health insurance. Yeah. Go do any crazy things like work in politics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why, why are you giving all that money back and you're going to go work for this guy you you don't even know? I'm like, well, right. well, first of all, mom, have you ever practiced law? Cause it sucks. It's the worst <laughs> job in the history of jobs. Okay. It's like being in school for the rest of your life. That's what being a lawyer is. You got to write papers. You got to read books. It's the same thing you did and you hated when you were in school. So it's yeah, not what you see on TV. No <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's not. They all think it's like L.A. law, whatever was on in their generation. Um, no, it's not like that at all. Right. And it's, you're surrounded by people who don't really have a passion for what they're doing. So I get it. I, I get where you're coming from. But yeah, so mine was kind of. I really, really jumped in hard. I had been dabbling in it since like 2013 and had been doing Fox News and writing. I wrote some columns in National Review and for the Miami Herald. And then I really dove in when Trump came along. Like I said, I was like, you know, it is he who I have been waiting for. Right. I was like, right. Been split and he is here. Um, and I just like I fell in love, in love with him as a candidate. Just, you and, know, and I should point crazy in love. And I should point out to my listeners, you're not in love with him anymore. Right. Nor are no. you in love with the people around him who who, you know, hypocrisy is probably too nice of a word to describe how they treated you uh, when Jason Miller, who lied to you and said he was separated from his wife, uh, you were having a relationship with him. He uh, you you become pregnant with his child. He then tries to say it's not his child. Um, meanwhile, his his wife is six months pregnant as well. Um did people from the Trump campaign reach out, try to help you, try to be supportive of you at all? Nobody. And in fact, um, I think it was when I was still, I think just out of my first trimester, I think it was, I was walking out of a, of a, a burger place. I'll never forget called Burger Fi on Miracle Mile. I love Burger Fi, by the way. One of my favorite places. <laughs> I used to get a cry and fry all the time. <laughs> and my burger, you know, feeding the pregnancy cravings. And I hear there's like something on the news how like Kellyanne is giving some live speech. They were doing some sort of um, pro-life rally in D.C. Right. She was like, and it's important to let women 
who are on their own, let them know that we will support them when they have their babies and we will be there for them. And I'm like, I almost dropped the take. Like, really? Right. I mean, I'm over here. You're over here. I mean, you lost a job. He lo- Look, he was your supervisor. Uh, him losing a job, I see. Why did they not give you a job? I mean, it's, t- you know, it, it look, it's just the hypocrisy of who they are. It just is who they are. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, pro, I'm pro-choice. I assume that you're pro-life or, or, or anti-choice as people would say. Um, and I think that, you know, it's a really gray area for me to be honest with, because I see both sides of it. I don't even really like to stake a claim on either because I, I fully support a woman's right to choose as I do think there are situations where it's best for the woman, best for the, the, the pregnancy or the child. Um, right. For the woman to have that right, I I, I don't like to 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 meddle. In I, I think the conservative so, view would be: Why would the government be involved with that decision? That's why I don't understand conservatives. Yeah. You know, I mean, the gov. Why is the it's government a scientific pe- thing? I mean, is at what point is it is it a child? It's 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 a very gray area, and it's incredibly difficult to have a conversation or even to know really where where. One stand. I think it's something that reasonable people, reasonable people can disagree about, right? Because, yes. right? So there will always be this issue of of choice in a, in this country, uh, but because there's no definitive answer, maybe the government shouldn't have a role. That's just me, um, and, and in it. Uh, so so you're out there on your own now. You're still out there on your own. You're you're battling this guy in court. He is not. He has has he ever seen this child? He did. He did for a while. And then two years ago, um, he filed something in court saying that he wasn't interested in having um, time with him, um, which that's his right. That's, that's fine. Um, what um, he's also, however, then stopped paying. He stopped paying for like half the year last year. He was sending William $500 a month in child right. support each month. Amazing. For a guy that makes, you know, was making some months like $60,000, $70,000 per month, we're talking. This right. This is more than a lot of Americans make in a year. Right. And, you know, found it funny to send that to an innocent three-year-old boy. So it's, there's just been a lot of sociopath-like, just how do I harm them as much as I can type of action. Yeah, it's like he Speaking blames you. Now. It blames you. For him losing his role in the White House and and maybe losing his role at CNN and other things, he pl- he kind of blames you for that, and he's taking it out on this uh, on this poor innocent child. Right. Yeah, and that's where I, the the sociopath type tendencies come in. Is anybody else would say, well, I should blame myself because I was screwing around on a campaign with a subordinate when my wife was pregnant, when I'm married, and pretending that you're having a relationship with her when you're really not. Right. right. All of these things that you should just take accountability and individual responsibility. I thought that's what conservatives stood for. Right. Individual responsibility. Or I don't know if it's only when they're talking about like a black woman or a black man. Right. All of a sudden, the, the phrase individual responsibility and being accountable for your actions is suddenly all over their mouth. Um, but no, yeah, I'm to blame for everything. So I guess now his thing has been as I can spend almost a million. He has spent almost a million dollars on legal fees just battling us over. It's not even clear over what it's amazing. What he's fighting about. It's amazing. It's he could have just sad. given that money to you and it probably would have settled the whole thing. It's like not even to me. Yeah, he's never made a settlement offer, by the way. It's not even I know sometimes people wonder, well, surely she's also been difficult and she just hasn't said so. No, he's never made a single, not one, not a single settlement offer. 
And all that money could have just gone to my son, and he would have like college, a starter home, grad school, everything. Unbelievable. So he, it's tragic. He is tragic. tragic. It's look, this is the kind of people the president, former president, surrounded himself with. AJ, my mother used to always say, you'll know them by the company they keep, right? And it, it seems to me that the former guy, and, and I know your eyes are open to this right now, surrounded himself with scoundrels and psychopaths. Yeah. How many have already been indicted or under investigation or in prison? And we're talking like high level advisors or managers. Um, It's a a crew of, I wouldn't even say misfits. That makes them sound cool. Right. But uh, a crew. (laughs) They're criminals. They're some of the. Shady people. Right. They're shady people. Very shady. I'll be elegant about it. I'll just call them very shady people. And and it's just surprising the proportional rate at which those gravitate to Trump world. Um, So that tells you all you need to know about Trump is is the people he attracts. Yeah. He keeps around. (laughs) Yeah. He wants them near me. It's like he's comfortable with that element around him. And he he makes excuses for these people. Like, uh, I mean, look, we see what's going on on with Giuliani right now. And, uh, you know, Giuliani, who I don't know if you knew him when he was when he was here in New York before he became, you know, a Trump, a Trump psychopath. But he was a well-respected person here in New York. Even Democrats like myself respected him. In fact, when I had that crazy viral debate with Rudy Giuliani two years ago, um, I was being respectful to him. Uh, He was being disrespectful to me. That's why it went viral. Uh, But it's 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 a he's lost it. Because he was kind of sucked into that world, but maybe he was a criminal all along. Yeah, that, I mean, it remains to be seen what it is they're looking into there. But I think the, the bigger takeaway is that it's 2021 and we're still coming across people in Trump world. Like It's like Groundhog Day. Yeah. I still remember when the whole Manafort thing blew up. That seems like ages ago. And it's like every few months there's somebody else from Trump world that is getting arrested or investigated or subject of investigation. Um, that should tell you just how lucky we are and blessed that we at least have a new administration in, in office. And all he and his ilk are now are, you know, hangers on of a once president. Yeah. Um, has been. Yeah. He has been. He's a former president. Well, they're out there plotting their return, right? I mean, they're plotting there. There were the other Miller, Stephen Miller, the other weirdo Miller, uh, in the Trump campaign. I mean, he hired two weirdos with the la- same last name. Go figure how that happens. Uh, you know, that weirdo wrote the speech for Tim Scott uh, a couple of nights ago. And it was, it, it, you know, I don't understand. Oh, I loved it. The one word he's like, I've been called an Uncle Tom and the N-word, but we're not a racist country. You know, my friend Soledad O'Brien tweeted it earlier and was like, uh, that sounds like a racist country. Yeah, yeah. You know that (laughs) you you had to know that it was Stephen Miller that wrote that we are not a racist country. Now, look, are we a racist country? I don't know. Is there a lot of racism in this country? Yes, lots of it. And it's just it scares me that there would be a United States senator in a primetime address trying to say that Democrats hate America because they're trying to fight, you know, racism and beat back racism, which has been thrown in our faces, not because people protesting it, because people are being killed on camera and cops don't even care that the camera's on them and they continue to kill. Right. 
it, it's insane. It's insanity to me. So it's it's uh, it, it it is it's a complete incomplete complete insane world we live in, and that's an insane group. And you were there. You were part of it. Uh, is there anything that you saw in on that campaign that made you think twice? Because I know you you went in there with. Uh, gaga eyes towards what Trump was saying. And then obviously you start to see the Breitbart's of the world and others, Kellyanne Conway's of the world creep into that inner circle. Anything that gave you pause even before, uh, you know, your situation with Jason Miller? Um, That's a great question. And there are instances here and there that um, I might have to keep to myself for now. Okay. <laughs> But from the administration, I can tell you that definitely the the point that started pushing me away was what was going on with the children at the border. And I think what changed was obviously my just having had a, a baby and thinking about babies being physically separated from their mothers. Um, that just rocked me. So that was really the point where I started to think, no, 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 um, th- these are not good people and there's nothing good in in totality coming out of this administration. Right. The middle of it is good. So I, I think it's more, um, because you can say you saw things that disturbed you, but at the end of the day, if the policy is okay when the administration comes in, who cares what you saw? Right. Um, also, all that ends well, as long as the policy is good and lives are being made better. Um, but lives weren't made better. The deficit, the national debt went up by how much? Like $8 trillion. Hundreds of thousands of people died because he fumbled the virus. Children were separated from their mothers, and orphans were created that are probably going to be orphans forever. We're never going to be able to relocate those children with their parents and right. reconnect them with their parents. Right. That's just three things off the top of my head that, that hundreds of thousands of lives were ruined because that man was in office. He so em- he I empowered our enemies, and he also. he empowered our enemies, and he you know weakened our allies. And that in and of itself was criminal, in my opinion. You, everything you said is equally as criminal, frankly. But it's it's just, it, it amazed. Yeah, he took the notion of, of wanting to be liked, which everyone, by observing Trump and, and of whether you've never been around him or you have, he wants to be loved. He wants to be praised. And he took that to the foreign policy stage. Why were we going to North Korea? I don't know, because he wanted him to like him? Yeah. Who gives a crap if yeah. he likes you? We don't need him to like you. Yeah. Or to like us. He doesn't need so to like us. He needs to fear us is what we need from that guy. Yeah. We, we, they need to fear us. Like, he made us, like, come across as, like, thirsty. Like, right. America was thirsty and desperate and, like, try hard. Like, please like us, Russia. Please like us, North Korea. No. I'm not going to beg. Have you seen my ratings? Have you seen my ratings in North Korea? I'm on top of the charts there. <laughs> I'm the number one guy in North Korea. Well, the number two guy in North Korea. I mean, that's that was his thing. That is very good. Well, you know, I've been working on it for like 10 years. but That's true. Everybody's like, I've had four years of practice. Um, so I can't, I can't do it. But yeah, so yeah, I'm done with the, with the thirsty foreign policy. So, you know, America's back now, kind of. Thank God. All right. So AJ, let's just talk a little bit about uh, Biden's first 100 days. As we tape this today, today is his 100th day in office. Uh, what's, your, what's your score on him? I'd say a 9 out of 10. And I'm just giving him a 9 because I'm guessing there's something he disappointed me on that I can't think of. Right. But... um. Nine out of ten, the guy's just knocking it out of the park. 
on unity. You have even folks like AOC saying, yeah, you know, he's blown past my expectations. I wasn't expecting to be this impressed by him. So he's really unified the Democratic base. Congrats to you guys. And on the vaccines, on the plans he's put forward, on the stimulus, the checks that struggling Americans got, you think he's done all this in like three months, and it's insane. Yeah. It's insane. I mean, is it going to pick up, you know, keep up this pace? I, I don't even, it's just, it's, it's, um, you know, I'm stuttering because it's just, really remarkable. Well, when you see the, I don't think anybody expected that. I I don't think anybody expected it either. And I think, you know, getting some of the cooperation from both the house and the Senate, which was difficult. I mean, I know, you know, Democrats have majorities in both, but the Senate is a difficult place. I worked there. Uh, and, and even getting the house to unify around specific goals is difficult. And the president did a good job putting that together. And, and, you know, look, the vaccine, I'm getting my second shot tomorrow. Thank God. Then I'll be back. I'll be back, baby. Uh, and it's uh, it's uh, it's going to be it's 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 fantastic. The fact that 220 million Americans now or 220 million shots have been administered in this country. Who would have thought we're going to be open by the summer? Yeah, and it's really ramped up under Biden because I was reading a stat that said when he came in, less than 10 percent of seniors, it might even really be a low single digits had been vaccinated. Um, and under him, the, the number has just soared. So he's really helped the most vulnerable, our seniors. And it's, it's really what's made the country just come back up. And we've seen the GDP is now on pace to be at, what, like six point something percent. I mean, these numbers you see, whether it's the vaccines or the economy or the stock market, I have to blink. And I know others listening are probably sharing this sentiment. You have to do a double take. Yeah. Because we've gone from, you know, zero to hero. My gosh. It's, a, it's, uh, <laughs> it's amazing to me. Amazing to me how quickly. And, you know, it drives me nuts that conservatives want to give Trump any credit for the vaccine. Now, I'll give him some credit for the Operation Warp Speed, which I don't think really changed anything. Uh, but he was a complete organizational mess in getting it delivered to the people. And that's what mattered here. That was the president's job. The developing the vaccine job was the job of the market. The getting it to the people, that was what the United States government was supposed to do. And he was doing nothing on that front. Right. I'm not going to give him credit for the vaccine being developed. That's just the free market and pharmaceutical companies wanting to make money and perhaps also help the world. But so he's not getting credit for that. The distribution, which is where operation comes in, was a mess was a mess. That's why I didn't get my shot until, you know, I just got my second shot this past weekend. So, no, there's really no credit to be given. And every press conference, his press secretary, Kaylee, would use it as an opportunity to argue and try to go viral. Right. He was suggesting we inject bleach. Um, what did he do? I, I truly, you know, it's, I almost don't like to get into the weeds on this because it angers me so much because when you get right down to brass tacks, it probably costs tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of lives. Yeah. So it's a really angry um, thing to dive into for any American, whether you lost someone or not. Uh, it, it, because it wasn't just, oh, you, well, you, you know, you messed up. You messed up and it resulted in death. It, it completely did. 500,000 lives. We had a 9-11 every four days in this country uh, in the last year of his presidency. The fact that that 74 million people thought that he was, let's get four more years of that is crazy to me in and of itself. <laughs> So, uh, I mean, I, I thought he was going to get like 20 million votes. No joke. I thought, you know, not, you know, not in the end, but I was like, you know, this thing's going on here 
and he's fumbling everything. This man literally said, inject disinfectant into your body and people are going to vote for him while people are dying that they know. Everybody knew somebody who died and they're going to still vote for him. Unbelievable to me. You know, let me shift gears for in the last couple of minutes I have with you. You are a, a, a Cuban-American from Florida, which has been the bane of my existence for the last couple of years. <laughs> How does... Is there anything Democrats can do or say, even a Democrat like Joe Biden, to change the minds of Cubans in Florida? You know, I think it's just cyclical, and I don't think you'll hear anybody else say that, and it might be completely wrong. I don't think it comes down to arguments, because I've noticed there's just like tunnel vision when it comes to the voting blocks. Um, at least the Cuban-American voting blocs, and some all over the country, really. The same way you're saying, why did 74 million people vote for a guy who said inject bleach? There's really no changing minds that are going to vote a certain way. So I think it's just a matter of of a cycle. Um, I think the next round, because they went so far for Trump this time around, because the socialism message resonated quite a bit, um, I also think the defund police scared the bejesus out of a lot of people. Yep. Um, I think just the next cycle, when that fear just kind of goes away, these things are like ebbs and flows, you'll see the numbers go a little more blue. From uh, they probably should have done a better job. Biden probably should have done a better job you know, responding some of those Spanish language ads that the Trump team was doing in the last election, basically accusing him of being you know, to the left of, of Castro. No, I mean, I had an aunt, just so you know how powerful it was. I had an aunt who, when it looked like Trump had won, like after those first night um, results came in, because most of those hadn't been counted, but people don't understand that. And she was like, you should be happy. I was like, why is that? She's like, because you saved your son from living in communism that Biden was going to bring. That's insane. (laughs) Communism. (laughs) Meanwhile, you know, these people calling, you know, Biden a socialist. Donald Trump was all about socialism the last year of his presidency. He was giving away money like it was going out of style. He was about socialism in the beginning of his presidency. He was giving billions of dollars to farmers because he screwed up a trade deal with China. This guy was basically taking. It's it's amazing. That's the example I always use, the farmer subsidies. I mean, hello, even like your Medicare. Right. It's really a socialist program and you're all on Medicare and and you, you're very serious about it. Your Medicare can not. You, you should just say you're on Social Security. Do you know what the social stands for? The social. Socialism <laughs> security. What if we called it that? Would you stop taking it, Grandma? That's what you should be oh, saying. <laughs> your stimulus check. The it, stimulus check that Trump wanted his signature on it. What was that? That's a government. Keep, keep your government hands off my Social Security. AJ <laughs> Delgado, you're fantastic. America follower on Twitter. She's AJ Delgado. 13 on your Twitter device. Of course, I'll be tweeting her out. AJ, thank you so much for joining me. No, thank you for having me. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with AJ Delgado. Follow her on Twitter. I'll be tweeting her out. She's fantastic. I, uh, you know, look, I mean, her views are definitely right of mine. Uh, you know, but she's no fan of the former guy. Not anymore, anyway. And I do think that she is in part responsible for his election because she was a good surrogate, a very good surrogate. So let's talk a little bit about Biden's speech and the Republican response to it. Biden's speech last week was great. 
the GOP is losing its mind. They are making things up about Biden because they can't attack Biden's policies. They, You would think Biden proposing $4 trillion in spending would get them all worked up, but they are having a hard time with that because the public wants this spending. They send out Senator Tim Scott, who has a very inspiring story. Let's be clear. He does have an inspiring story. We don't agree with him. His politics are wacky, but he's got an inspiring story of how he got there. The speech was written by Stephen Miller. Now, we know what Stephen Miller feels. Stephen Miller is, let's not mince words, he's a white supremacist. The Republican Party sent out their only African-American senator to read a speech written by a white supremacist. Why Tim Scott would choose to, Senator Scott would choose to, to read that speech, I don't know. Especially the line that says, America is not a racist country. As if the Democrats are saying America is a racist country. Now look, I agree with that statement. I don't think we're a racist country. Do we still have a problem with racism in this country? Yes, it's a huge problem in this country. We are, at best, recovering racists in this country. I've said this before. Racism is not like a broken bone. It's like alcoholism or herpes. It will continue to resurface forever. You need to stay vigilant. And when Tim Scott frames the debate based on Stephen Miller's speech, I might add, that one party thinks it's a racist country and one party thinks it's not a racist country. It ends the debate. It makes it hard to have this conversation. We have issues in this country that are devo- that are arisen out of racism, period. That has been made crystal clear the last year to everyone who hadn't seen it as if it wasn't existing before. Because trust me, it has been existing forever in this country. For as long as there's been a United States of America, there have been issues of racism in this country. A lot of people woke up to it this summer. A lot of people who had their head buried in the sand. A lot of people who thought, well, we elected a black president. All good now. No, not all good. Yes, America is not a racist country. Yes, America has a serious racism problem. Both things can be true, Tim Scott. It is not an either or. Do not let Stephen Miller put that in your head or in your mouth, those words. You've said it yourself, Senator Scott. You have been pulled over several times for driving while black. You have said this yourself. You have felt the sting of racism, I am sure. Does that mean the entire country's racist? No. But why are we having a debate? If Why are we having this debate about what the parties think? One party thinks it's a racist country. No, no. I don't believe that we are a fundamentally bad country. In fact, I believe we are a fundamentally good country. I believe we are a fundamentally great country. I believe that we have opportunities in this country. Absolutely. But I do believe there are flaws in this country that need to be worked out. And clearly, you know, Republicans are okay with people who think there's flaws in our election system to the point where they're going to riot at our Capitol. But pointing out flaws that are seen every single day, not just once every four years, not just once a year on election day, but flaws we see every day in the way African-Americans are treated, not just by law enforcement, but throughout society. 
the way people of color, not just African-Americans, things that need to be addressed, justices that need to be given, injustice that needs to be erased. Why are we framing the debate, us versus them? That's not what Biden's speech did. They have a very hard time, these Republicans, attacking Joe Biden. People like Joe Biden. His numbers are good. Anywhere between 53 and 59% last week. I'm going to go with the 59. And even on top of that, they like his policies even more. I don't know. I, I believe that people like Senator Scott should acknowledge that problems still exist in this country. He should have used that platform to acknowledge that problems still exist. He's out there working on solutions right now with Cory Booker on policing issues. He's proposing things to try to fix some of the inequalities in policing himself in the United States Senate. So clearly, he must believe on some level that there are still problems with race in this country. And I think he does, frankly. Let's hope we can move past it. Let's hope that people will work on the problem and try to find a real solution and not just slogans and jargon and political attacks based on lies. Anyway, I really do appreciate all the support you all been giving me. I hope you enjoyed this uh, this episode. And I, I really wanted to have the focus be on the interview this week because I did enjoy talking to her. And I think it's a sad story, frankly. I think it's a real sad story, and I think it's more than just a commentary on the right. I think it's a commentary on the way the media treats women in this country, and it drives me crazy. It should drive you crazy, too. But right now, I want to remind you to seek the truth, question everything and everyone, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Progressive Podcast.